there, and welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that seeks out the middle ground and sometimes talks about the wellness world also. <laughs> my name is Annika Buckle. And my name is Jenny Omani. Um, and if you are joining us, we honestly, Annika and I were just looking at our numbers because we're numbers people, and we've just had such a surge of downloads over the last week. We are floored, astonished, and so eternally grateful for all of these people that are listening. So thank you so much. Are you robots? We don't even know, but we're happy you're here. So if you do like the show and you want to have more excitement come from our voices, because we're literally like <laughs> gobsmacked, we would love for you to give us five stars on whatever platform you're watching or watching, listening from, um, give us a good review, share with your friends. Like we would love to keep seeing these numbers that we are. Cause it's just so cool. And it just gives us like, this has just been such a great creative outlet for all three of us, um, as we really pivot and do different things in our lives and what we've been doing for the past few years. So this is just super, super fun. And we're so grateful for all of you. And having said that Lee is pivoting in the direction of a migraine. So she <laughs> is not here today. We'll so regrets today. to Lee with her pounding headache. Um, it's just Miss Annika Buckle and I today. And what are we going to talk about? I am really, I, you, if you've listened to this podcast before, you will not be surprised to hear. I am very excited because today we're talking about free birth control. Oh my gosh. I'm excited because I thought we were talking about something different. I forgot yeah. that you were doing this. I know. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, oh, okay. Yes, this is this. And we are recording the day after international women's day. So I literally feels... have my notes at the end. It's so perfect and relevant. Oh, this feels, and... I'm so excited that we're doing this now. And now I remember our meeting where we did talk about this, but I had a different episode written down for today that you were researching for. So I'm just like, I'm just as excited as everybody else to hear that because it's kind of the first time I'm hearing that too, even though it's not, and I should know better, but here we are. So <laughs> it, it, if this literally is the first time you're hearing about this, um, in the latest British Columbia budget just tabled and coming into effect April 1st, um, certain forms of birth control are going to be included in your basic medical services plan, which means they will be free to everyone, not just those with the right coverage. And I just kind of want to like needle that out a little bit before we kind of get rolling. So if somebody is taking the pill, let's say they're spending $20 a month, that can add up to as much as $10,000 over someone's lifetime. And oh. yes, some people have extended health coverage that includes this. You will probably be surprised at how many people don't. Maybe they don't have extended health coverage at work. Maybe they're freelance. Maybe they're part-time. Maybe their plan doesn't cover birth control or only covers certain kinds. I was shocked at how many comprehensive plans cover no kinds of birth control whatsoever. And you know, you know what's interesting? Like as somebody who has a good job with a good employer, um, we do not have IUDs covered through our plan. Oh, we'll talk about why that is in a minute. So, Don't worry, but it, we'll get which to is it. so crazy. interesting because yeah. I never occurred to me as like a privileged white person with like a very white collar job that my right. it's a unionized position. I'm faculty at a post secondary, and we the only covered form of birth control is birth control pills and I'm due for an IUD change. So right. I was like, Oh, but yeah. So anyways, this is great. I love that. Cause I think a lot of people who have coverage have selective coverage, which well, is exactly to differentiate. 
Yeah. And I mean, this is also, you know, not even touching on things like youth that might want or need the support. You have to go through your parents who may or may not approve this. That's a barrier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And larger barriers, even more, you know, faced by other marginalized groups. New immigrants is a big one that I read about a lot. Who do they ask? Where do they go? Will the supplier ask my husband or tell my family? There's a lot going on on really a lot of levels on this. So, yeah, it's a big deal. And there's a lot to talk about. It's very exciting, but I'm just so going to do exciting. a tiny bit of housekeeping first. In our discussion today, I'm really going to do my best to use specific person first language, which means using terms like people with uteruses and people who can get pregnant, because of course, those are not synonymous with women. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not perfect and practice makes progress. So it'll be a little bit messy. And a huge part of what we're going to talk about today is the patriarchy and systemic and historic discrimination against women very specifically. So I will also use that language. It's just all going to show up today. So thanks for bearing with us on this journey. <laughs> yeah. Trigger warning, we might use the wrong words and talk about sensitive topics that people don't like. Head and tongue videos always available in the <laughs> explore page of your app of favorite, <laughs> favorite social media platform. Okay, so let's um, just start a little bit with kind of the history about birth control and then kind of the Canadian context, as we love to do. Um, unsurprisingly, people have been attempting to prevent pregnancy since pretty much forever. (laughs) Um, And despite probably not being super effective in the ancient world, there were all kinds of options. Of course, abstinence, prolonged breastfeeding was a big one, pessaries, abortion-inducing potions, plants, and herbs for both internal and topical use. The most effective in ancient times was probably withdrawal, which is especially funny given how unreliable it is. (laughs) But... (laughs) Um, I mean, if your choices are that or abstinence, I get it. I mean, right. (laughs) Um, But rather than spending all our time talking about sheep bladders today, let's start with the modern birth control movement, which is generally thought to start in Britain in around the 19th century, kind of walking hand in hand with this expansion of laissez-faire liberal capitalism and also alongside the growing feminist movement. This is where the control in birth control comes from, actually, women having control of their reproduction of their bodies. Um, I'm just going to drop this Victorian postcard, um, JPEG in the chat. I, it's actually raise yourself. No, it's actually not bad. I I do enjoy Victoria. The Victorians really, I know that's your jam. I guess it's like, kind of like the first advertising is when the Victorians, oh no. Um, okay. So it is a picture of a lady in like a Mary Poppins outfit. Um, with like the hat and like the skirt, she's got her high necked blouse and there is a stork. I assume that's the bird we're looking at here. Um, and it has a sweet little baby that looks like a little angel cherub in a sling under its neck. And it's like trying to deliver this baby to this Victorian lady. And she is fighting it off with an umbrella. (laughs) And I think we know that she will be unsuccessful. Womp womp. (laughs) Um, of note uh as well the the caption at the bottom is and the villain still pursues her (laughs) my um which i just think is actually a surprisingly um progressive kind of sentiment at the time but (laughs) um starting in the late-ish 1800s 1880s sorry 1880s very specific birth rates began to drop steadily in industrialized countries as women married later 
families in urban urban living conditions increasingly favored having fewer children. Surprise, surprise. You live in like a one bedroom apartment. You don't want eight kids. Funny. Weird. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you live in Vancouver, then you don't have a choice. Um, In the United Kingdom, for example, birth rates declined from almost 35.5 births per 1000 in the 1870s to about 29 per thousand by 1900. So in less than a generation, that's a 29% drop, which. Oh, wow. Right. Pretty significant. And it's not like you're looking at like, well, there's less fetal death rate. So therefore people didn't keep having a million kids because half of them would only live to adulthood. Like that had kind of, I mean, it settled a little bit drastically till, you know, much later, but like, it had definitely wasn't the same as like the 1500s. The 1500s. Right. Like, yeah. Pretty sure they knew washing hands at that point was like a beneficial (laughs) thing. A a good idea. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, of course it speaks to a few things culturally, but notably for us in this conversation, um, it shows Victorian women were actually learning to be educated in how to avoid pregnancy. Rubber Mm. condoms and diaphragms were fairly inexpensive at this time, although, of course, not necessarily easily accessible to all except the upper classes. Predictably, probably only for married women, too. Well, I I mean, there's very much an underground, you know, existence of things, but this like women needing to be married piece is a huge part of kind of what we see over, I mean, really the next hundred years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is when the Catholic church decided to dub condoms a sin because of the dropping birth rate. Um, And so this is kind of one of those first places that we start to see this like political religious battleground divide that in a lot of ways still exists today. Hmm. Um, The 1920s brought the invention of latex, which was thinner, cheaper, and more effective, but it was the late fifties that brought the very first birth control pills, thanks to Planned Parenthood in the U S. So I'll talk in a little bit more detail about that, but I kind of want to take a detour through Canadian history Um, because we're here in Canada and it's relevant. Um. In 1869, two years after Confederation, Canada passed a law making abortion illegal. We have a great um, episode on abortion from last summer. If you have not listened to that, go back and check it out. But it wasn't until 1892, which brought the first criminal code, um, that criminalized the distribution and sale of contraceptive products and the dissemination of information regarding those products. So birth control became illegal and so did sharing information about it. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty easy to do when you have a society completely run by men. And like most doctors would have been men too. Like absolutely. It was 100%. all, yeah, yeah. Like from all counts, it would have been, yeah, you know, male lawmakers, male politicians, male people in power and male people in medicine. Mm-hmm. Or well, and I, doctors. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's, uh, I read a very interesting article, um, actually talking about Britney Spears as a example of what happens when oh, we she remove just breaks my heart. I know, I know, oh. but you know, her, Anyways, yeah. her, you know, basically forced sterilization with her IUD for those years, mm. you know, this is what happens when we remove people with uteruses from the table, from the conversation around what it looks like mm-hmm. to have control over reproductive yeah, Tell health. them what's best for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that very paternalistic, I mean, it shows up in a lot of different ways. We'll get into that in a second, but yeah. that very paternalistic, these like powerful white men know what's best for you is very much the theme that kind of runs through a lot of this. So, yeah. and change takes time and we sure are 
trying our best to keep changing and also trying not to, depending on how you look at it. (laughs) Totally, totally. Um, So following the same trends in the US and the UK, it was the 1920s that kind of started this wave of advocacy and support for birth control with the argument specifically around children should be wanted and raised properly. It really was an argument about the well-being of families more than anything else. Well, I mean, if you can't make it about women, then you make it about children. You you try and make it. It's like basic advertising. You got to make it relatable to somebody. But the children. But yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. The first birth control clinic in Canada opened illegally in Hamilton in 1932 under the leadership of Elizabeth Bagshaw, um, Hmm. who, if you uh, aren't familiar with her impact on Canadian history, she was one of the very first female doctors ever here in Canada. Um, I also just want to highlight, sorry, in 1932, that was one of our first female doctors in (laughs) this country who was, who was educated here in Canada. Yeah. Oh, okay. So like, I'm just going to really hope there was like other female doctors that maybe were just educated in like England or somewhere else. Anything's possible. But wow, that's a terrible statistic. Anyways, good job, Elizabeth. (laughs) Um, I also do just want to highlight this was the heyday of eugenics, as we discussed extensively in our Crunchy Mom Diet Book episode. So much of this like good moralization of wellness has really, Mm -hmm. really dark roots. A.R. Kaufman, a famous philanthropist in Ontario in the 30s, ran a birth control program that was specifically and only offered to low income women because you guessed it. He saw contraceptives and sterilization as methods of controlling the working class who he deemed mm. unintelligent prone to producing feeble-minded children those are both direct quotes from him makes my skin yeah crawl oh yeah yeah it. yeah not your own words no never <laughs> um the, but the same belief in eugenics was at the root of the forced sterilization of indigenous women specifically here in canada in the early 20th century which is a huge part of the story of women's bodily autonomy in canada not in our scope today but really important to know and understand that this is the the background with which we this is this is the history we come from. I also am willing to bet that that was a much easier group to test um, pharmaceuticals. Oh, with, on too. Just wait, we'll get. Oh, there. did I segue? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't mean actually that's not necessarily specific to Canada, but you won't be surprised. No, no, that's like what's coming. That's an international trait yeah. for sure. Um, and so, I mean, like we see in a lot of social movements at this time, it's like, we get to the right place, you know, advocating birth control access, but by doing like the wrong work, like really horrifying racism. Right. Um, because once again, what is somewhat socially acceptable? Right. Right. Like, so it's like, okay, you find a box to put it in. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I know it's so, you know, his history should make you feel weird. Right. (laughs) Right. On a lighter note, um, something that I found particularly fascinating is part of the reason that this kind of culturally started to become more talked about in these years, kind of as we look at the span from the 20s to the 50s, had to do with this international push to actually start doing research around human sexuality. Researchers like Kinsey, Masters and Johnson, even Freud, the kind of cultural zeitgeist was shifting because all of a sudden these conversations that were previously never had started to become more common. Um, I wanted to focus specifically on BC for a couple of minutes because 
I learned some really fascinating history on this and I will link the Monte Cristo magazine article in our show notes. Let's talk a little bit about the first Canadian pro contraception group was created in Vancouver in 1923. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. almost a full decade before the clinic in Ontario. Um, I found this especially interesting because I just always assume everything happens first in Ontario because that's where all the people live. <laughs> totally, um, especially in the 1920. Like, I mean, it right. was a long trip to get your ass out <laughs> to the West Coast. So, yeah, just yeah, people wanted to do that. <laughs> well, and I think this kind of what we see bubbling up here speaks kind of very much to our like socialist left leaning kind of liberalism here. Um, the women running the Vancouver birth control clinic had uh, direct ties to the cooperative Commonwealth Federation. If you know your Canadian history and you know the name Tommy Douglas, this was the precursor party to today's new democratic party. So we kind of see this very, you know, working class, um, you know, body autonomy in other aspects that kind of flowed over. I want to be careful not to, you know, whitewash it too much. There's absolutely many in the labor sphere around this time who were real hardy eugenicists, but because it was a place that was so focused so deeply on labor, you often saw this focus on protecting people's bodies and often more voices of women at the table. And so there became, it became much more easily accessed on the left, which I think again, continues kind of what we see today. Um, Interestingly, and this is kind of what we were just touching on, even though the clinic operated out in the open and it was illegal, it actually never once was raided by the police or nobody working there was ever arrested by the police. Um, And actually, this kind of loophole is used all over Canada at this time because clinics like this operated in this legal gray area thanks to an exception that allowed leniency if, quote, the public good was served by the acts alleged. So if you can make the argument that what you're doing, and again, particularly when we see this happening in, you know, poor communities or communities of color, oh, it's for the greater good. Oh, it's okay Mm -hmm. then. Oh, it's fine. And I think this is also the loophole that we start to see around. Well, we'll get there in a minute. But as we talked about, you know, it's fine for married women. This is a loophole that, you know, we can allow a little bit more because children should be wanted because family or if your mistress decides to (laughs) make the choice to you know get pregnant I guess that us that just needs to be dealt with too and it's different then it's very different under those circumstances very different um so you know we kind of see this start to pop up again and again basically even though it was illegal the general public kind of didn't have a really big problem with it. So nobody kind of went after it. And, you know, again, coming back to this like racist, ableist, classist ideas of the time, population control, less desirable neighborhoods, not necessarily the case of the Vancouver Clinic, but very important context. So moving kind of into the depression of the 30s and the war of the 40s, so much of the country is like really just focused on basic survival. I think as we've talked about in a few kind of other ways, and I know Jenny, you and I have had this conversation offline too, a lot of the, you know, you're looking at trends of things, you're looking at, you know, the history of things and kind of like we had this like research gap in the two years of COVID because it was like mm-hmm. all hands on deck to research COVID. It's like, well, it's the depression and then the war. People are worried about feeding themselves, you know, as much as anything else. So totally Homeland Security, like when it's like a real, real, <laughs> like real, <thing>. yeah, <laughs> real issue. And there's benefit to that too, right? Like mm-hmm. you absolutely, that shows a different that shows like a level of humanity for people to pull all hands on deck for mm-hmm. like 
certain big issues, mm-hmm. but yes, it does lead for a data gap. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Um, so let, let's just jump right to the fifties because a, it was the baby boom. So public tide started really turning favorable to birth control. And then B, this is also where we see the invention of the birth control pill in the U S so 1953, John Rock and Gregory Pincus biologists with funding from planned parenthood of America, somewhere in the neighborhood of $2 million from most accounts developed in like 1953 dollars. Right. I don't, I can't do, I don't know what the math is on what that relates to, but it seems like a lot of money. A lot. (laughs) 2 million. 1953. There's always, this is just a, okay. Oh my God. Annika, guess. I can't tell me. 22 million, 400,000, <laughs> nine. Well, anyways, like 20, 22, 22 and a half million. million. Bucks. So using 22 and a half million dollars <laughs> with funding from Planned Parenthood, um, which again, I think again, speaks to, you know, when something becomes important culturally, it gets money put behind it. Right. Um, so they developed the first birth control pill unsurprisingly state laws prohibiting contraceptive research made it very difficult to set up trials see mm-hmm. if you can guess who the subjects for the drug trials were <laughs> privileged white women <laughs> obviously no? privileged white men actually no um yeah surprise surprise they first tested the drug on both male and female patients in a massachusetts state psychiatric hospital and i then- was just gonna say this is where yeah. they you they actually and this is an interesting topic so much experimentation happened in psychiatric facilities it's it's like incredibly appalling but they because people were literally held there i mean against their will yeah and um i mean we know that some people do benefit from being in a psychiatric facility and that looks very different today but like in the 1950s and before and you know after for a while too Mm -hmm. like nightmares wow yeah that's horrible yeah and then, of course, also on poor women in Puerto Rico, because obviously oh. um, America loves to tap that relationship, don't they? Right. OK. Um, OK, so let's just kind of catch up like summary wise what was happening in Canada at this time. Um, I'm just going to pop this in the chat, um, Jenny, and you can read it and then I'll kind of update as to what was happening next. OK, so 1955. As part of the overhaul of the criminal code, the legislature removes the word illegally in section 237 um, regarding abortion, which led to a great deal of controversy. Physicians feared being convicted, even if the abortion was performed for therapeutic reasons. Well, that has aged well, hasn't it? (laughs) This is part of the reason I wanted to include this. Again, you know, yes, abortion is a form of birth control. It's not specifically what we're speaking to today, but it is important when we look at the history and the context. Um, They just added in more reasons that you could legally administer an abortion, health of the mother, et cetera. Um, I don't want to spend too much time here, but it is relevant, especially when we look at what is happening, especially in the U S today. Totally. Um, okay. So there you go. Okay. So now we're 1960. The Canadian government authorizes the sale of the birth control pill solely if it is used Um, solely if its use is intended to regulate the menstrual cycle, using it for purposes of birth control remains a criminal act. 
So you can imagine, uh, right? Again, mm, does this come with a whole swack? Does of... that feel like a big gray area? <laughs> right, right. Um, so you so can lots imagine of women would go to like have their menstrual cycle controlled, right? Regulate it. How can you? I mean, I don't imagine it there. I can't imagine there was a lot of like prove it, <laughs> right? right. Oh, so, geez. but I mean, it's that's a risky thing for a doctor to do. It's a risky thing for a patient to ask totally. for, right? So, from yeah. 1960, it takes then another seven years for uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, senior, to table amendments to the criminal code that include decriminalizing birth control, and then another two years from there to pass. So, it wasn't until July 1st, 1969, that contraception was decriminalized officially in the criminal code, finally giving all Canadians the right to prevent pregnancy without engaging in criminal behavior. Well, imagine that. <laughs> Congratulations. Hmm. Um, to detour for a second before we kind of talk about specific changes in policy that are launching April 1st, I just want to quickly outline how healthcare works in Canada for our listeners who might not be from here, or honestly, even if you are. So what do you I don't understand because all of our media is American. So yeah. it's very hard to pull tease it apart sometimes. <laughs> and it is actually co- quite complicated. So it's super confusing. Um, Medicare is the term that refers to Canada's publicly funded healthcare system. Instead of having a single national plan, we have 13 provincial and territorial healthcare insurance plans. Under this system, all Canadian residents have reasonable access, I'm using finger quotes, <laughs> to medically necessary hospital and physician services without paying out of pocket. Roles and responsibilities for healthcare are shared between provincial and territorial governments and the federal government as is the cost. So provinces have their own budgets, they have their own regulations, but rely very heavily on the Canada Health Transfer, which is healthcare funding from the federal government. Provincial and territorial healthcare insurance plans must meet certain standards described in the Canada Health Act, or they will not receive their CHT payment. Mm-hmm. Provincial and territorial governments are responsible for management, organization, and delivery of healthcare services where the federal government is responsible for national standards. For example, abortion. We talk about this in a lot of detail about our episode from last summer. Funding, aka money. Healthcare delivery for (laughs) specific groups. So this is like First Nations living on reserve, the military, federal prisoners, and then other health-related functions. So this is things like regulation of pharmaceuticals, disease prevention. So yes, we have universal healthcare and also, our quote-unquote universal health care is a bit of a shit show sometimes from one province or territory to the next. Oh, totally. Because I think the big thing with that is if you look at just the size and scale of Canada as a country, right? like there's just, and we talked about this, I think, when we were talking about food access, like it's mm-hmm. just really hard to physically and actually get to parts of Canada. Yeah. And yeah. you need to and have a lot of motivation and yeah. A lot of money and a lot of political money. will. Mm-hmm. And those things are very often missing because, you know, who are these communities? These communities are, you know, impoverished. These communities are very remote. These communities are very often indigenous. Um, mm-hmm. So that money and political will piece is very often missing. So yeah. um, anyway, this kind of hodgepodge is also the reason that BC is passing something like this new policy. <laughs> so um, let's talk about the details of this implementation starting April 1st. Prescription contraceptives, including oral contraceptives, quote unquote, the pill, copper and hormonal IUDs, a subdermal implant, a contraceptive injection, and emergency oral contraceptives, the morning after pill, will be free for all BC residents. Love it. Important to note, 
directly from the government of BC webpage, I feel like I just want to highlight these. <laughs> when available, Pharmacare coverage is focused on generic drugs, which are as safe and effective as brand name products. If a generic mm -hmm. drug is covered, Pharmacare will usually only cover part of the cost of a brand name drug up to the cost of an equivalent generic product. Mm -hmm. Also of note, Pharmacare will not cover cervical caps, diaphragms, patches, rings, copper IUDs, sponges or condoms. Can you just say copper IUD that was covered? Only if it's copper and hormonal. Oh, if it's both. So like yeah. pure copper. Okay. Yeah. And is that because there's, there's only brand name copper IUDs? Is no, this I found very interesting. IUDs that do not have hormones in them are considered medical devices, not birth control. So they are not oh. covered. So this is also maybe the loophole that allows a plan to not cover your plan. For example, like you, you were just discussing, if it's considered a medical device, it lives under a completely separate place than mm. Well, my plan doesn't have to cover it now because of provincial government. Well, because I am one of the people that absolutely fucking loves hormonal <laughs> and I'm quite happy to have a hormonal IUD, but I do know people that that would be. And you know what? I do have to say the whole thing with generics, um, brand names and generics, the pricing difference is absolutely astronomical mm -hmm. and that by promoting generics, I do think it helps to, um, uh, it helps from a cost savings. It's like, it's not like they're free. Let's be very clear. Right. Someone is paying. Like, it's not like the pharmaceutical companies are like very happily going to donate all these things. So it is being paid for by right. the government or by, you know, however, but, well, by us really like yeah, our, tax, by our dollars, tax paying dollars, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it is yeah. not free. It's just free on the user end, the yeah. consumer end, That's but good. And I do think that it's also because there could be incentivization for certain brands otherwise. Like you absolutely could have, um, you know, preference. Now, physicians here do not fall under, like there's a lot less than there are in other countries in terms of pharmaceutical presence that um, that pay physicians to have preferential Promote use their of certain drugs and whatnot. Right. Like there's actually like laws in place for, for that sort of thing. But- it just really makes it crystal clear that that can't happen. Well, and I think it's that's such a good call out, Jenny, because I think this is a conversation that we've, you know, kind of seen, heard in the zeitgeist over the last couple of years. And just a reminder that the reality is we literally have laws and systems and checks in place to try to prevent, you know, I don't think you're going to find either of us arguing that the pharmaceutical companies are like pure and good and there's nothing wrong with them. No, but... big pharma absolutely exists. <laughs> and, and it also really absolutely bad. provides an important service. Yeah. Two things can be true, right? So I think yeah. this is a really beautiful example of like, here, here's a way that we try to keep checks and balances in place so that we mm -hmm. can have the benefit people with uteruses being able to protect themselves from unwanted pregnancies. Mm -hmm. And we keep that kind of insidious, you know, oh, my doctor will only prescribe, I don't even know brand names of pills. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I used to take yeah. a pill a hundred years ago, um, you know, because they're getting a kickback or whatever that looks like. So, yeah. It also encourages pharmaceutical companies to um, adjust pricing if they know yes. that they will, if they know that they're, that the generic is going to be preferentially used prescribed yeah at and it's it, like at in a higher volume it does incentivize some some price dropping because i mean let's be honest big pharma like i said it's alive and well 
It's not like it's not like <laughs> this brand costs $72 more to produce than this other brand no. that's making the same thing, right? No. Like- and that's actually a whole different conversation. And it's really interesting. It'll be interesting to look at countries that really have limited the um um the profit margins. That's the word I'm looking term I'm looking for. There there are countries that have put limitations on profit margin and what they're allowed to mm-hmm. charge for things because it it is actually like it's it's big pharma is alive well super problematic but also um we need it um <laughs> so it'd be nice so, if they so made this it is, a little bit this is better be- Yeah. And I mean, this is a beautiful example of like, what are some of the things we can be doing and advocating for as, you know, citizens and consumers to try to encourage as much of as many checks and balances as possible. Totally. Yeah. No, I actually think that that fine print is actually really important. And it's, it's a, it's a good thing, especially because there are good generic options in this mm-hmm. field it's not like there aren't any and it's like right because uh, you could there, are, there are some situations where there is no generic alternative and a hundred percent it's really hard and problematic for people who need this incredibly expensive medication absolutely but it fortunately this is, in this case this there's fantastic generics and we're gonna be okay yeah um i also just want to talk for a minute condoms are not included in this the mm-hmm. note on the um, BC government website is condoms are often available for free at local sexual health clinics. So I think, I mean, that when, might be true. I don't know. I haven't visited right, one. <laughs> right. And I mean, I think again, as we're looking at, you know, the, the gender equality issue in this, right? Like, as you said, Jenny, we're recording this just a couple of days after international women's day, which I always find a little funny. Uh, Cause yeah, yeah. Women are awesome, but you it get really one grinds, day <laughs> grinds my gears <laughs> when we have this like very capitalistic, like gasification of women where we're happy to celebrate them by putting them on chocolate bars, but like not actually for, make any for a day. change that will improve their lives. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, bless her. This is hard. This is this is what it's like to live with me. Um, the day before International Women's Day, we were coming home in the car, and Dad said, um, "Tomorrow's International Women's Day. What are we going to do to celebrate?" And I said, "Oh, um, well, I would love to be able to walk uh, home alone in the dark. I'd like to be paid equal money for the same work that I do. I would like uh, women in Afghanistan to be able to go to school. I would really like uh, that I didn't have a daughter who had a risk of." What, being the one in four women who sexually assaulted on a university campus he was like oh i was thinking like you were like we such a killjoy <laughs> you took dan buckle trying so hard was like, and you just ripped him into little tiny pieces like yeah He's i like, mean sure okay. you can bake cookies too babe that's fine but yeah this is this is the thing that drives me crazy about this and i mean as we've seen this access to contraception is absolutely a gender equality issue. You know, as the finance minister was tabling the budget, that's one of the things that was talked about right now. People with uteruses always get the short end of the stick pretty much every time when it comes to reproductive costs. Condoms can be easily found for little or no cost. Vasectomies are and always have been covered under MSP. Unless you do the expensive one with Dr. Pollock. Um, but the, the most highest reliable... grossing physician in British Columbia, I think, up to his retirement. Probably so just let that sink in. The highest paid physician in British Columbia was a guy who did vasectomies for a living. So, um, but the most reliable contraceptive methods for people with uteruses are only available with prescription. Can cost mm-hmm. anywhere from twenty dollars a month to five hundred dollars for an IUD or an implant. So. Mm-hmm. 
what we see is this is the kind of meaningful change that actually starts to create a little bit more of that balance that we talk about and look for. And to be honest, like, I don't know if it's ever going to be equitable in the sense that as long as you, the only people who can actually get pregnant are the people with a uterus. mm -hmm. So it will always sort of tip more, you know, weight on that group. Like it's Mm -hmm. not, I don't think you cannot. So Mm -hmm. it's like the goal isn't like in all cases to make everything completely equitable. It's like, you got to fucking try though. (laughs) Right. And this is that. So yeah. Yeah. And, and again, recognizing, you know, as you know, we've seen historically, as we talk about all the time, you know, privileged white people will have always had access to all of this. They still do, you know, even in States in the U S where things are really outlawed and looking really bleak. If you have access and privilege and cash, most things can still be available to you. I think where we really see this start to help and level the playing field is in some of those communities that don't have that kind of access, that don't have the money, that don't have the language skills, that don't have the time, that don't have that privilege and access. So, you know, this is what, to your point, Jenny, this is what fucking Tryon looks like. Well, that's the thing. And I think we need to um, just look at sometimes like effort is really important and like, it's not going to be equitable. Like we, it's just not like, there's just parts of life that will not be fair air quotes, right? Like life just isn't fair all the time, but what can we do to try and Mm -hmm. to improve? And like, like, it's like just recognizing privilege and access, right? Totally. Just because we know we can never make it completely equitable. Doesn't mean you don't start doing things that move the mark towards that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that kind of sums up ex- some exciting new changes that are coming. If you happen to live here in this particular province, I will also just add there are a large, and I'll include, there's actually a really cool map. I'll um, put it in the chat right now, but it's not, this is new and exciting here, but it's not like this is something that isn't already happening <laughs> in other places around the world. Um, no, it seems like. I mean, it's hard to say because like the what gets reported on is right. Well, and right, like so. Who knows? Probably. If you click on this link, there's like a world map of where you can get birth control over the counter access. Again, kind of website. The website is (laughs) freethepill.org. I actually don't like birth control pills. I would. I'm an IUD fan. Um, but I think again, you know, even in all of these countries that we see listed here, uh, there's more than a hundred countries around the world that are where the birth control pill is available over the counter. You know, again, I'm also Russia is one of them. I mean, or do we just not know? Or did they just say? They just saying. (laughs) And actually, I do think that this is a really important note. Is just because it's a country says that doesn't mean that that's the reality of the citizens just because the policy is that doesn't mean that that's the reality of marginalized people living there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, to your point, like this is what attempting looks totally. like. This is what trying looks like. I think it's fantastic. And it'll be interesting to see the workflow. Like, can I just show up like, cause normally if you get an IUD, it's a prescription, right? You go with the prescription filled, you pay for the prescription either with your own money or reimbursed or however, like if you have extended, however, and then you take the IUD back to your doctor. 
and it's inserted. Um, so it'd be interesting to see, like, is it literally going to be zero? Is it, is it going to be, I think so, because if you think about other medications that are covered, you just go get your prescription. Right. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see the workflow for it. mm -hmm. What that looks like. And I, you know, again, I think there's still, you know, is there still going to be a piece of access barrier if, you know, you need to do continually go back to your doctor and get that prescription refilled or yeah, what people are going like, to have to change right? brands, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're on a certain, um, brand of birth control pill, um, and it's not going to be covered, you're probably going to switch to one that is. Yeah. So, or maybe you're not, and you're happy to keep paying whatever the difference yeah, is. It'll yeah. still be cheaper for you. Right. Um, yeah. But oh yeah, that's no- true because they'll pay up to the component of yeah. the value of the generic. Yeah, that's good. However, point. you may, and this I think will also be really interesting to see. Um, you may start seeing that difference not covered by your drug plan anymore. Um, mm. Well, because why would they? You could submit that receipt and have you know that difference covered. Uh, very likely, there will be plans that. Oh yeah. Insurance agencies love to not cover things. So I think it's very <laughs> safe to say they have been the second this started, they've been like, Oh, right. How can we, how can we change our insurance or our policy coverage? Yeah. That yeah. sounds about right. So just, these are things I think to watch for. Right. Well, this is just fantastic to be honest. Like I love that given where we are at from like a public health standpoint and from the fact that our primary care system is like not to be dramatic it's in shambles it's like sucks yeah it's really nice to see because this is primary care yeah yeah right and this was expensive yeah. and this took a lot of manpower For sure. and, and this political is just, will nice right to totally yeah. well and I, so politically in bc i don't think that was a huge struggle compared to other places well We're and i think this is liberal. part of the reason that we start to see this even stuff our first, conservative right? provincial like um parties are like not conservative compared to other areas well and i think this highlights to you know as we're seeing a lot of this coverage and access restricted you know most of our media comes from the u.s we're seeing a lot Mm -hmm. of that restrictions happening in the u.s we're also seeing a rise in authoritarian governments in other places in the world that are starting to Mm -hmm. restrict this access too um i do think and then we see california good job guys (laughs) (laughs) but i think it's encouraging when we see you know that these things are really starting to be um valued the way that they need to be for society to be um more equitable yeah, I think it's awesome. Well, cool. Thanks so much for sharing that. I am I I just think this is a good thing. This is a very good thing. This is like a good news story. <laughs> In case you um thought you were gonna have to hedgehog video yourself too much. Good news. This was a this was a good news one today. Thanks so much for listening to we really appreciate your support and if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast it would mean the world to us